0: Five one one. The following program is sponsored by the Truth
1: Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy.
2: A gentle word can get through to the hard-hearted, disarms and charms. That's what gentleness does. It's a beautiful quality. It's a wonderful virtue. And you know what? We're encouraged to cultivate it here. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Cultivate a gentle spirit.
1: To break through a wall of granite, you get out the TNT, but how do you crack a hardened heart? Welcome to Know the Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Philip DeCourcy, pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today Philip shows us that emotional walls collapse with patience and gentleness. We're continuing to learn that God's ways are not our ways in our current series titled Less Stress, as we study the powerful truths found in Philippians chapter 4. Now, with today's message, here's Philip DeCourcy.
2: As Americans, we've been conquering outer space. We have broken free of the law of gravity. We've gone to the moon and back. We've even landed a spacecraft on the surface of Mars. As it stands today, Voyager 1 spacecraft represents the furthest we've traveled in space. It's been exploring space for some 40 years. Today, it is 12 billion miles away from planet earth. And it's traveling at 39,000 miles an hour. Quite amazing. As Americans and as a nation, we have conquered outer space. But as a nation, we're struggling to conquer inner space. Back home on earth, our inner space is a black hole of anxiety, conflict, hypertension, unhappiness, stress, fear, depression. People are going about their lives in quiet desperation. You know it. You've experienced it. You've seen it. Millions use sleeping tablets to go to sleep at night. Sales of sedatives are at an all-time high. Books on peace of mind become instant bestsellers because people are stressed out, stretched to the limit physically, emotionally, spiritually. I'll tell you how bad it is. I was reading just this week about a young mother who left her child at home with a babysitter as she made her way to the dentist. And as she plopped down on the dentist chair for a root canal, she turned to the dentist and said, it's so nice to be able to relax. (laughs) That's how bad it is. We're relaxing on dentist chairs. You see, the new frontier for the modern man is the inner space, finding peace, shalom, confidence, contentment. And that's why we've been working our way through Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, because here I believe we've got a recipe for inner calm. Here we have a path to peace. I say it because one, of the writer of the passage, and then secondly, the words of the passage. I mean, the writer is experiencing what he's commanding, The Apostle Paul is a man who's at peace with God, at peace with his circumstances. His life is marked by joy. In fact, in the verses that follow the verses we're looking at, in verses 10 through 13, he says, I've learned to be content. Cheerfulness, contentment, calm mark the life of the writer of this book. And you know why? You need to appreciate that he's writing in a set of circumstances that are not altogether pleasant. This is his first imprisonment. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's been under of guard now for some two years. He's not sure if he's going to be released. History tells us he will be released first time round. He'll be later arrested and he will not escape the second imprisonment. But right now his future is on the line his future hangs in the balance. That's why he says for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I don't know whether I'm going to live. I don't know whether I'm going to die, but I want this to be true of me, that whether by life or by death, Christ might be magnified in my body. There were ministers who were capitalizing on his absence out of self ambition, adding to his chains. Epaphroditus had come from the church at Philippi and had almost died except for God's mercy. God spurred him sorrow upon sorrow. He was dealing in chapter 3 with the Judaizers who were trying to corrupt the New Testament churches. He learned about a division among two leading ladies in the church there at Philippi called Judea and Syntyche, ladies who had worked with him in the gospel. A lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of unpleasant circumstances. And yet here's a man who writes about being joyful all the time. Who writes about a peace that is beyond human understanding. Who is content regardless of where he's at and what is happening at a given moment. So, you know what? We would do well to listen. Trying to conquer inner space. Here's a man who has conquered it. So I see it not only in the writer of this passage, I see it secondly in the words of this passage. We've said this every sermon and we'll continue to say it. Verse 7, Paul promises the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding. In verse 9, he talks about enjoying the company of the God of peace. Small wonder, by the way, that Amazon tells us that this passage is the most marked passage in the Bible for most people. Now, Amazon tracks what we do with our e-books. And so if you've downloaded a book or downloaded a Bible off Amazon, they're tracking when you highlight something, maybe a favorite sentence or a favorite part of the story or a verse in your Bible. And according to Amazon, this is the passage that is marked most by people. Now you and I might think John 3.16, we might think John 14, we might think Psalm 23, we might think Romans 8. No, people are turning to Philippians 4 because they want less stress in their lives. They want to get rid of anxiety and angst. They want to know a peace that passes human understanding. So let's come and begin to continue to work through our passage. Now, We've noticed a few practices and principles already. Less stress involves the practice of reconciling. Verses 2 to 3. You'll always be happier when you're at peace with those who are nearest and dearest to you. Conflict resolution, being of the same mind, is an important factor in one's health and happiness. Then secondly, we looked at the fact that less stress involves... The practice of rejoicing, finding our joy in the Lord, the gospel, the things that cannot be changed in the midst of all the change that life will bring. And here we're going to see that less stress involves the practice of relenting. Rejoicing, reconciling, relenting. Learning the grace of giving way. Relinquishing one's rights. Being courteous gentle Magnanimous of spirit, that's what's being encouraged here. And this is what encourages an experience of the God of peace and the peace of God. I think you know this, don't you? that demanding people, people who must win every argument, people who don't bend, who are not gentle, demanding people are usually miserable people, and they usually make everybody else around them miserable because they want their pound of flesh. They want their say. They want to come out on top. They have their rights, you know. It's exhausting and exacting business to be that kind of person. Paul here tells us that one of the stress busters is the cultivation of a gentle spirit. That is something that mirrors the wisdom of, Of God's community across history. You go back to Proverbs 15, verse 1, a book about wisdom, time-tested truth. And what are we told there? That a soft answer turns away wrath. You want to lessen stress? You want to turn the temperature down a little? Then answer softly. Cultivate a gentle spirit. Show some magnanimity and even mercy. That's a verse we're all familiar with Here's another one in Proverbs 25, verse 15. You probably haven't looked at it in a while. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Now, hold on a minute. How can a tongue break a bone? Well, it's metaphorical. And it's contrasting one of the softest parts of your body with one of the strongest and most brittle parts of your body. Your tongue is soft, pliable, flexible. You can bend it and shape it as you speak or as you eat, but your bones solid. So how does a gentle tongue break a bone? Well, it's a way of saying a gentle word can get through to the hard hearted. That's what it's saying. The gentle tongue, believe it or not, breaks the bone, breaks that which is hard, disarms and charms. That's what gentleness does. It's a beautiful quality. It's a wonderful virtue. And you know what? We're encouraged to cultivate it here. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. So let's come and look at verse 5. Interesting verse. Challenging. It's a theme we don't often perhaps talk about, but one that is necessary. I want to look at three things. Gentleness defined, gentleness displayed, and gentleness directed. Let's define this word or let's understand this concept. Here Paul commands, urges, exhorts the Philippians to show gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. It's a bit of a softer translation, isn't it, than verse 4, where it's direct and abrupt rejoice. Where here it's more, let your gentleness be made known to all men. But don't mistake this. This is still a command that's imperative This is something you must give yourself to. Now, the term gentleness is a slippery word. It's not an easy word to translate. Or may I put it like this, it is so rich in meaning that one word doesn't seem to do it justice. And so Bible translators have struggled a little to get to the true meaning of this. That's why if you've got several English versions at home and you compare them, you'll see all kinds of words. It's been translated moderation been translated forbearance, kindness, courtesy, leniency, yieldedness, goodwill, gentleness. I like the ESV, sweet reasonableness. It's a beautiful word. Gentleness, sweet reasonableness. That's what we're to show to all men. Although fundamentally, at the heart of it, at the foundation of it, this is a word that speaks about not demanding a strict and straight application of the law where you bend a little. It speaks of the fact that you may be right. You might have the law on your side, but you'll set aside your rights or you'll lessen the application of the law and your rights so you can be forbearing and gentle and sweetly reasonable. This word appears in the writings of Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher. Here's how he describes this word. It speaks of one who does not stand on his rights unduly, but is content to receive a smaller share, although he has the law on his side. That's our word. Sweet reasonableness, yieldedness, gentleness, patience, accepting less when you could demand more. It's a wonderful word. In fact, when you think of that, does it not take us back to Philippians 2, verses 4 to 5, the very heart of this letter, the kenosis passage? where the Lord Jesus wasn't driven by self-ambition or self-interest, but he put the interest of others before himself. And Paul says to them, you know what? Let that mindset be in you. It's not about you. It's about others. Joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's where joy is to be found. And if you want a motivation, if you want to look at this, have a look at Christ. Although God, he voluntarily set aside his privileges as God, and he left the worship of heaven for the mockery of a cross. He added to his deity humanity. And he became of no reputation. And he became obedient unto the death of the cross so that God in his grace could gently treat you whose sin his son had died for on the cross. Now let that mind be in you. Let your gentleness, that your willingness to be yielded and to show magnanimity. Let that be made known to all men. So what does this mean? It means a spirit that does not insist on every right, although the law may be on your side. It speaks of a disposition that diffuses an argument, a situation, a conflict rather than escalates it. It speaks of a willingness to show mercy in the face of wrong. It's an attitude of yielding. I love the phrase, it's the grace of giving way. It's a perspective that doesn't sweat the small stuff. It's a condition of courtesy and mannerliness. It's a bend towards kindness and patience. That's our word defined. Wouldn't you agree it's a beautiful concept? It's a bit like the word kindness where C.S. Lewis said, Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have someone to forgive. And gentleness is a beautiful word and it's a wonderful concept until you have to show it to all men. And if it's to be shown to all men, that means some nasty fellows. And so this is the challenge. This must be in the mix of our Christian walk and our Christian witness. This is what marks the life of the Christian because this is what marked the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, what does Paul say about the Lord? He says this, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by meekness and the gentleness of Christ. This was a church that gave Paul fits, didn't accept his authority, weren't easy to work with, and he's pleading with them by the gentleness of Christ. What marked Christ must mark the Christian. Maybe put it this way. Write it down. This is the meaning of verse 5. Do you have a reputation of gentleness? Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Is that your reputation? Is that what comes to mind if I was to interview your kids? Hey, describe your mom and dad in one word. Would it be gentle if I was to take a poll of those you work with? Would they say, Yeah, he's a gentle, loving, kind, forbearing, magnanimous soul. And we're so glad she's in the office. Is that what the congregation would think of me or any of our elders? That they're not lording it over the congregation, but they're treating God's lambs and God's sheep with due care and compassion. That's what it ought to be. Or when people think of us Do words like unforgiving, unbending, strict, lacking in love, petty, harsh, without patience. Are those the words that come to mind? I hope not. I trust not. No, we're to be gentle. Now, we're not to sell out theologically. That's not what this word's about. We're not to surrender morally. I know that from this text. Because in chapter 2, verse 15, we're told we're to be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights. This isn't about lowering standards. This isn't about becoming soft morally. Certainly not about selling out theologically, because the same guy that writes in chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be made known to all men. I want you to notice how he describes the Judaizers in chapter 3 and verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. So we're not talking about selling the gospel out, we're not talking about reducing our standards morally what we are talking about in relationships and in evangelism and in life, where we can, for the sake of the gospel and for to reflect the character of God, we're going to give way on certain things. Or we're going to give people time to repent. Or we're going to be very gentle in our approach in restoring the lost or the broken. Now, this is about a charm and a beauty of character. In fact, it's funny, just this week in studying I've been reading a book on the side called 50 Christians You Should Know by Warren Wearsby. It's a wonderful book. Highly recommend it. And just happened this week. I was reading about Charles Simeon, an autocratic, aristocratic fellow who over time God made into a very gentle soul. He stayed single his whole life. He was appointed minister of the Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge in England in the 18th century. And as soon as he got there, trouble met him. Started preaching passionately, started stirring the church up, started turning things upside down, so much so that the congregation didn't like it and decided not to come to church. And back in those days, if you were a member of a church and you had a family, you could purchase or own a pew. If you've ever gone to a British church or a European church, you'll often find that the pews have little doors on the end of them. You can lock it and your family parade in. You lock the little door behind you. Us four and no more. It's terrible, terrible stuff. But here it is. So they don't turn up and they lock the doors to their little pews so nobody can sit in their pews. So literally, the new people that start coming under his ministry, they're against the back walls and they're standing along the aisles. Eventually, he brings some benches in, puts those along the aisles and people sit on them. But as soon as the service is done, his ushers, who don't particularly like him, they grab the benches and chuck them out into the church yard. This went on for 30 years. 30 years. In fact, he stayed there 54 years. And he will admit He was autocratic at times, and he was aristocratic. He was a blue-blood Englishman. He liked things a certain way, and he got a little upset when that didn't happen. That's why he stayed single his whole life. (laughs) You know, if that's your thing in life, enjoy it, but stay single. You can't bring that into marriage. That will never fly. But God works in the life of Charles Simeon. One of the verses God uses in his life is 2 Timothy 2.24, which says, And the servant of God should not strive, but be gentle. And despite his own fault, he worked on them and showed great patience for 30 years. And God used him in a marvelous way. He said this, The passage of Scripture which subdued and controlled my mind, okay, was 2 Timothy 2.24. It was painful indeed to see the church with the exception of the aisles, almost forsaken. But I thought that if God would only give a double blessing to the congregation that did attend, that would on the whole be as much good as if the congregation was doubled. So half of his congregation stayed away. He couldn't fix that. So he just asked the Lord to bless doubly the people that came. Listen know his words too. True You are not to keep back the fundamental doctrines of the gospel, but there are different ways of stating them, and you should adopt that which expresses kindness and love and not that which indicates an unfeeling of harshness. Well done, Charles. You're showing your gentleness to all men. That's gentleness defined.
1: That's Philip DeCourcy teaching us about the power of gentleness here on Know the Truth. Today's message is part of our Less Stress series that uncovers the riches found in Philippians chapter 4. All of the messages in this series are available on our website at ktt.org. Listen to the messages online or download them on your computer or smartphone for offline listening. As we learn about gentleness today, you may be in a season of life that's anything but gentle. Maybe you're in the middle of a real storm and you're wondering where to find some shelter. Well, we want to encourage you today with a devotional by Paul David Tripp called A Shelter in the Time of Storm. Paul Tripp doesn't offer pat answers or empty promises. He's taking you to the depths of God's word to reveal our heavenly father as the inexhaustible source of hope and refuge for every season of life. A Shelter in the Time of Storm offers 52 devotions in Psalm 27. Request it when you give today to the ministry of Know the Truth. It's easy to give online at ktt.org. Whether you give a one-time donation or set up a monthly donation as a Truth Ambassador, your support is greatly appreciated. It is the faithful giving of friends like you that allows Know the Truth to plan for the future as we take God's Word to more people in more cities across America. Because it's through hearing God's Word that men and women are set free in Christ. Again, give online at ktt.org. Or call in your donation to 888-644-8811. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd like to welcome you with a free CD of Philip's message titled Sunny Souls. Let us know you're listening and request the free CD online at ktt.org. We hope to hear from you soon. I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you back tomorrow when Philip continues his message on gentleness. That's Wednesday here on Know the Truth.
2: John Van Pay, pastor and author of the new book, Marathon Faith.
0: Surrendering your life to Jesus is the greatest decision you'll ever make, but that's just the starting line. Many of us begin our spiritual races of following Jesus with unrealistic expectations that hinder us from crossing the finish line. Every faith journey encounters obstacles. Just open the Bible. In my new book, Marathon Faith, Motivation from the Greatest Endurance Runners of the Bible, I write about how men and women of faith overcame obstacles and how you can do the same. Along with scriptural references, I include my own life experiences about endurance running. When things get tough, let God help you endure your race so you too can finish well.
2: Order your copy of author John Van Pay's compelling new book, Marathon Faith, Motivation from the Greatest Endurance Runners of the Bible, at Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. My pillow is now made